Stable Moments podcast. So glad you are here with us. I can't believe we are like rolling right through 2022. Time just flies. We are almost into March. I cannot believe it. Well, today I am going to bring you a very special episode because it's just me. Um, I'm not going to put a guest on today's episode because I want to talk to you about something that just keeps coming up and I felt like I gotta do an episode on this just in my experience and, and talk about it. So I keep, you know, I'm part of several foster groups, foster care and adoption, Facebook groups and communities, and it is incredible to me how much frustration there is in this world. And I just feel like it it exists and you cannot enter this world of foster care and adoption um, from any viewpoint without feeling the tension and the frustration so strongly. And it's, it's judgment is what it really boils down to. We're very, very judgy. And I feel like we get really judgy uh, and frustrated because it's such an emotional issue, right? Like it's children not being treated properly. So we have a hard time reconciling our feelings around this and we want to blame someone. Like when there's a tragedy, when there's something that just should not happen, we want to blame someone. And so there's just high, high tensions in the foster care space and it really comes out. It comes out and it comes out in a super judgmental, non-productive way. So I wanna talk about that today. I hope by acknowledging the emotion and acknowledging the perspectives of everyone, we can bring a more calm and empathetic lens to this space so that we can be more productive, more connected to each other, and actually work to heal instead of cause more trauma. I'm Rebecca Britt, and this is the Stable Moments Podcast. I started this podcast to understand from all perspectives how we can help end the foster care crisis. The overwhelming response was we need to support our local community. Unwanted, abandoned, orphaned children are the community's responsibility. We must support, guide, love, invest, raise up generations that will nurture, love, and support their own children to end this crisis. So the purpose of this podcast is to build an army of people that are interested and willing to take responsibility of our foster youth and who are supportive of foster and adoptive families. This is the on-ramp for people who want to get involved but might not know where to start. I want this to be a place where community members feel like they can make a difference, where they feel good enough to make that difference, and believe that they can be a big deal in the life of a child. Thanks for being part of our community and make sure to join the conversation in the Stable Moments Podcast Facebook group. Together we can end the foster care crisis. Okay, so frustrations exist, right? This is super emotional. Let's just start with a child being removed from their parents' care. Like, can you imagine a bigger invasion of your freedom, of your, what feels like, you know, your rights? Like, you need to raise your child, right? And so, of course, a huge level of frustration and anger and betrayal and all of that happens on the biological parent side. And on the community side, the community side can't believe that this happened, wants to say that the state didn't intervene quick enough, wants to say that the bio parents should have never had kids, wants to, you know, socially and publicly humiliate them and, and really call them out for the injustice that was done to a child, right? So I understand all of that. 
But I have noticed that through my work, it's incredible how people have this huge empathy and um, would go to bat for any child, right? They would sit there and say, this child deserves this and no child should be treated this certain way. And they would love on that child. And they have all the empathy in the world. And then for some reason, when that child becomes an adult, people lose their empathy. That person should know better. They are just a piece of crap. They should be making better choices. You know, they weren't raised right. Well, the truth is that they weren't raised right, maybe. Maybe they weren't. And maybe they don't know any better. Maybe it's this child that you cared about so much when they were three and they were getting abused and they were moving around from home to home and then... You know, they were in a new public school every year because of the different foster homes they were in. And then they were in an abusive relationship and somebody took advantage of them that was much older and got them pregnant. And now they have a child and they're addicted to drugs. And so they neglect their child and they even lose their cool and get frustrated and hit their child sometimes. And now this person gets their children taken away. And here we are, you know the the social police and we are saying what was this woman thinking she was you know nodding out and only cares about her drugs and never doesn't care about her kids and you know xyz she should have never left him alone with a boyfriend and i don't know where these people were raised okay so we had a lot of empathy for her when she was three when she was five when she was 10 and then at some point she should just be responsible for all of her actions now, I'm not saying that people should not be held responsible. I'm not saying that the foster care system shouldn't be there to protect, you know, and that they should not hold people accountable for abuse and, you know, jail and being held accountable can actually be a good thing in people's lives um, because it can, you know, kind of create a rock bottom for people where sometimes they need them. But what happens with us? Like, why do we go from being super empathetic with the child to now we want to blame someone? And I get it. Like, I get that change sometimes needs to happen. And I think that activism and outrage can spark meaningful change. But this isn't what I'm talking about. That's not what I'm seeing. I'm seeing hateful words and judgments happening from somebody that's sitting at home on a keyboard. Um, or, you know, they just are kind of hateful, but they're not productive. They're not saying like, this is how I'm going to step up and help. This is how I'm going to change the system. They just have chalked it up to everything sucks and they're going to spew about it. And at the end of the day, someone else is wrong. They are right and someone else is wrong. They're not like, oh my gosh, how did it get this way? I'm part of the solution and I want to help. So I really want to change that narrative, especially, you know, around the system. Everybody talked about it being a broken system and that there's all these gaps and that case managers just don't care and they're not well trained and that there's way too much turnover. And all of that may be true, but it is the system that we have. And there are not just like evil people in the system, right? There's a lot of people that went into this work for a reason. And I think, again, it goes with the same theme of like stopping and, and making sure that we understand the people behind the, the system or behind the problem. Um, these case managers fall short because their caseloads are too much, too many. Uh, there's not enough foster parents. Okay, so that's on us, right? That's on us as a society 
if there are not enough places for kids to go, it's easy for us to sit there and say, they really need to fix that. But we decided a long time ago that we weren't going to do orphanages, that we were going to do foster homes, because I guess we believe that our community would step up and we believe that our community would open their homes and that we wouldn't have a foster home shortage and a foster care crisis. Well, it's supply and demand. So the you know, substance use disorder and substance abuse crisis in our country has created more kids coming into the system, which then needs more foster homes. And there's less foster homes, especially with uh, COVID. There were less people wanting to take kids in. And there just aren't enough foster homes for the kids that are coming into care. So this creates a huge problem. And a lot of the times, this is a social worker that is sitting with a kid that has been removed, that has been deemed that they need to go into care. But you can imagine that this has implications that they keep kids in homes that they might remove if if they had a whole bunch of homes that they could put kids in. So, you know, it's not like they can just pull homes out of the air. And, you know, that's why kids are staying in lobbies and kids are staying in hotels. And we go, that is absolutely not okay. Kids should not be removed and have to live alone in a hotel. They shouldn't have to. But where are they going to stay? Like, what are we doing about it? What's the solution here? It's it's tough. And so we get angry and we blame people, but it's just, it's not helpful. So, you know, I think it's important to talk to social workers, understand why did they go into social work? And I remember as a social worker, there were a lot of things that were taught in school that were best practices. Like, this is how you should treat kids. This is how you should treat families. It should be holistic, wraparound um, interventions. It should happen this often. And when we say a system's broken, it's because liabilities and red tape and insurance and all of these things working together make it so that you can't provide best practices. So it's really easy for people to say, well, this is what should happen, but who? Who is going to go into that kid's home um, every day and make sure that the family has the supports they need? And who's going to pay for it if we do find somebody willing to do that? I mean, it's nice. Things are nice in theory. But often it's not this like simple answer of, well, let's just give the best care. Things do cost money. And I'm not saying that like, okay, well, then they should just pay for things. Like, who is they? You know, is it the government or is it big insurance companies? Um, so things, things are complex and it's not just easy. Um, and then that's why social workers get jaded, right? Because you're taught best practices, you're eager to give best practices and behind every corner you're told, actually, there's a huge waiting list for this. You can't even get those services or, "Mm, I know that you would like to do this particular thing with a kid, but we actually have a policy against that because last year, Um, somebody did that with a kid and it turned horrible and we were sued because of it. So now we can't do that. And that's not on the agency. I mean, if you're going to get sued and that's going to mean that you might have to shut down all of your services for everyone, then you, I don't blame you for making a policy that protects most people and protects you. So, so, so it's just, that's, I'm just trying to get it. It's so complex. And a lot of times uh, social workers have to deal with so much red tape that they actually have to just settle for doing good enough. 
good enough because they can't just take it upon themselves. And so, yes, then reform should take place. And yes, policies should be rewritten and different federal dollars should be allocated in, in certain ways or whatever. But it takes people getting invested in, let's look at the policy. Like if that's your thing and you're like, this is wrong and the whole system is broken. If you have even said that out of your mouth, the whole system is broken which we've said that about a bunch of systems that we think are broken, right? Spend some time like going through the policy, going through how did the system get the way it was, go through the history, figure out why the systems are the way they are. It's not because somebody is evil and they're just raking in money and everybody's complacent and nobody cares and everybody just likes being a jerk and you're right and they're wrong and if you ran things, then things would be run well. Like that's not it. It's that like they tried, they freaking tried really hard, but there were reasons why they couldn't. And, um, and that's with bio parents, that's with the system, foster parents, program directors. I mean, with everybody involved, like everybody is trying. And that's like why at Stable Moments, one of our principles is that um, everybody is doing their very best. Like we believe that everybody is trying their best. And if you come from this assumption that everybody is doing their best, then it takes away any argument, right? You're not going to sit there and say, well, you should just do this or you should try harder. They are doing their best. They're currently doing their best. So then you can understand that, realize that that's all the tools that they have. That's their best because it's the knowledge, the tools, the information that they have to show up at their job or as a parent or as a program director or case manager, right? And once you truly believe that they're doing their best, then you realize that, that the lack here that you're frustrated about is a resource issue or is a tools issue. It's an information issue. It's a culture issue. It's something that you need to get curious about and pause and say, this is what I notice and I want to help. So can you help me understand why things are the way they are? Because I know you're doing your best. So why are things the way that they are? Why? How did you get to where you are? How do? You, why do you do the things that you do without a judgmental tone? And maybe this isn't just you talking to somebody, but it's you just getting curious and pausing and internally reflecting and figuring out, okay, so they're doing their best. What, why, how did this come about? Why is this the way it is? See all the different perspectives, get curious, learn about it, and then come to it in an, in an empathetic, helpful way so that you can connect more information, education, tools, resources, or just a validating hand, right? Because you don't just need to like come in as this like righteous, I know what to do. I'm, I'm a community member or a case manager or a family member or whoever, and I know better. And obviously this is an education issue. No, I mean, you don't want to be patronizing, right? But if it is, then help, help in some way with access, with tools, with resources, or with understanding and just saying, man, I can't imagine how it is for you, or it might be for you. And I'm just here for you. I'm just here to listen, whatever you need, right? Okay. So the other, what's incredible to me is the other people that get attacked often are foster parents. And I just want you to um, think about this for a minute. So I have a Stable Moments site that sent out a graphic that talked about, you know, what 
foster parents do, what their job is, and how it's tough, and how we think that they're rock stars. And, you know, people just started commenting right away, well, they're not all rock stars, and there's some that are abusive, and some are in for it just for the money, and da 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 And while there are some foster parents that aren't great, just like there's some every people that aren't great, it is not helpful to say, well, there's a lot of them that are crappy, and then just leave it like that. Because the foster parents that I work with as a social worker, they might have been at the end of their rope. They might not have come off as like this great, healthy placement. But let me tell you about a scenario where somebody might be showing up as somebody that you'd say, why are they fostering? They should have never fostered to begin with. There was um, a family that I served. And imagine, imagine having infertility issues. Imagine finally getting to a point where you've made all the right choices in your life. You're happy. You know, you're married. You want to have children. And you go ahead, start trying to have kids. And you realize you can't have kids. And you're already kind of older. Like you're already at what they call advanced maternal age, 35. So you're starting to think like, oh my gosh, like I thought I, I mean, I need to have kids soon. And you go through five years of different fertility treatments and all of this stuff. And your only option left is IVF, okay? Which is in vitro um, fertilization. And that's what you were going to do. But then you realize that it's about $30,000 a cycle just to do IVF. And you're like, that's an insane amount of money. We don't feel like doing that. And you start looking into foster care. And you come to the belief that maybe God's plan for you was to take care of kids that are unwanted or abandoned or abused and that you know that you're going to be an amazing mother and that maybe this is God's calling for your life is to not have children of your own so that you can take care of kids. And you're going to do the foster care route because you want to take care of kids that have had a tough life and need a home. So you want to go the foster care to adoption route and you go on social media and you start gathering information and then you get attacked, okay? Because there are a whole bunch of people out there that believe that nobody should go to the foster care system to adopt. They do not like the term even foster to adopt because they believe that you, all foster parents, should only be there to help reunify with the biological parents, which... Those people are amazing. Foster parents that are going to hold the gap and truly be the support for the biological family and hold the kid while the biological family is getting their needs met and uh, working their plan so that they can get their kids back. That's amazing. And yes, the foster care system definitely exists so that kids can be reunified with their biological parents. And I 100% believe that if children can be with their biological parents, they should be with their biological parents. But there are plenty of kids that should not be with their biological parents because their biological parents are abusive um, or they're not able to adhere to their plan. They're not able to get better. And maybe they're like very close to termination of parental rights um, or they're already TPR. And so Tell me why then it would not be okay for somebody to go foster to adopt route where they're going to go to the foster care system rather than private adoption 
um, and, and get a kid and have adoption be their goal. I, I, I just don't get why people would get attacked for that. Now, I get that if you're sitting there saying, you know, people shouldn't just go in there and make it about them because it's about the child and what's best for the child. That's fine. But just like you can go in on your foster care application, say that you only want girls that are, you know, younger than 10, you can also say you want kids that are eligible for adoption or that you strongly want to adopt in that you don't want a kid that's just going to come in for a year and then go back to their biological family. They can place just kids that are up for adoption or have a strong likelihood of being adopted, being able to be adopted in your home. So I just don't see that's wrong. I feel like we have places for everyone. You know, there's there's a need for any every type of foster parent. So, okay, so now this foster parent has been attacked that they shouldn't want to foster to adopt and they've realized that they don't have open arms from their community, right? So whatever, they deal with some of the haters and they keep on their journey and they decide to keep trying to do foster to adopt. Well, maybe they'll just try foster care and maybe, you know, if reunification ends up being the goal, that's fine with them. They just want to try it. Um, and they really want to do the right thing. People have already yelled at them and given them some perspective about how these kids should be reunified. So they're like, okay, all right, yeah, we'll do that. We just want to help. So then they do take in a kid. Um, and it's a couple and the kid is a nine-year-old girl and she is overly sexualized because of sexual abuse that she's had and she's only gotten attention from men um, in a sexual manner. So she doesn't even know how to interact with the dad or the male figure of the house um, and how to just be like a daughter and be affectionate. But she needs affection so much. She needs safe, healthy affection and touch from her foster dad. But the foster dad's really kind of freaked out by it because when she sits on his lap, she it, it's sexualized. And when she wants to hold him like or hug him, it feels sexualized. And he's really creeped out by that. So he doesn't really want to touch her. And then she is really good at reporting. So she goes to school and she's had a bad day at the foster home where she wasn't able to get the video game that she wanted. And she just goes to school and says, my foster dad's touching me. And they make a report. And these kids know all about the system and reports and what that means. And so it's easy for them to make a report and they know that that's a good kind of threat if um, they don't get their way at home. So now the foster dad is being investigated for being inappropriate with this child. And of course he should be investigated because there's plenty of times that abuse really does happen and they're not false allegations. So I'm not trying to say at all that false allegations are just a thing and we shouldn't take kids seriously. I'm not trying to say that at all. But in this particular family that I worked with, they were false allegations. And it made the dad feel super pissed off. Like, he's trying to help this kid, and he was already creeped out. And then she made these allegations, which is his worst nightmare. Now he's getting investigated, and now the caseworker that's asking him questions that just blow his mind. He, like, can't believe it. He's questioning why they ever let a kid in their home. Why weren't they just able to have a biological kid? You know, and then this is the person that comes and might be asking for services or might be going to your church or, you know, and they're going through this investigation at home where people at church are kind of like looking at them with a side eye and wondering, like, maybe he did do something. And
And they see the mom, you know, be short with the girl. And they're like, they shouldn't even be foster parents. They are like mean to her and they just seem over it. And I don't even know why they let a girl in their home if they weren't going to show her all this love and all that. But you have to realize like you are dealing with somebody's grief. Like they're grieving that they don't have the family that they thought that they would have. They're grieving the fact that they'll never have biological children. They're grieving the fact that this is what their family looks like now and they don't even know if they're helping. And they feel like they're supposedly called to do something, but, but it's not rewarding. They're getting no signs that they're doing the right thing. They don't know. And when they're completely freaked out and pissed off and they don't, they can't share that with anyone. They can't say this little girl creeps me out or this little girl freaks me out or I, I don't like her or we wish we could give her back or whatever. All those feelings that are real, but you can't say that to people because now you're not a good foster parent. But of course, the people that are saying that aren't foster parents either, and they're not willing to do their job. So I just want you to think about what this feels like, this judgment feels like. Um, and, and this judgment comes from case managers sometimes. The judgment comes from uh, service providers. There are stable moments locations and and even me as a service provider I would have parents and, and parent, some parents would be annoying they seem like helicopter parents overly involved and not allowing us to kind of do our therapeutic framework with kids because they're right next to the kid and they're worried that the kid's going to do something and they're you know really interrupting in the session we're like gosh no wonder this kid can't just be a kid he's constantly feeling all this pressure to be per this perfect little angel because of this foster parent and I'm like, okay, well, you might not have dealt with a parent that really is trying their hardest. Maybe that parent is so afraid because this kid has made reports against them as foster parents that this kid's going to make reports against providers, that this kid's going to destroy property that they're now going to be liable for. I mean, parents get judged the most for how their kids behave, right? So now the parent's just like trying, so triggered by letting the kid do anything because the kid does mess things up, is destructive, is whatever. And the parent's like, who am I if I just sit in the car and relax while my kid does all this stuff? So the thing is, is there's so much tense anxiety. Like the anxiety is super heightened, right? And we're just transferring it to everyone. You know, the kid comes into care and there's a lot of trauma. The bio parents piss. The caseworker is overworked. The foster parent is thrown into the deep end and is now being investigated and looked at sideways. They're worried. They're trying to stop new, you know, investigations or new uh, traumas or new uh, destruction from happening. Um, and everybody's just constantly on edge and the kids are on edge because the kids have been taught to be hypervigilant and, and had to be that way. Their sensory systems had to be that way um, to be able to detect threats in their environment. And so the kid has all of that and the parents start having that and we all see this kind of vicarious trauma happening for everyone. And we, we don't know how to handle it. And we kind of just boil over and we are judgmental and we point fingers. And if you can understand that heightened tone, that anxiety, when you see it and you go like, 
like you pop the balloon, like you are the calm, amazing energy that comes in and is like, wow, I can see you are doing your best and your best is, it's tiring to do your best, isn't it? Like if the kid is, you know, very heightened and strung out, if the parents heightened and anxious and strung out, going and being like, wow, you care so much about this kid. Wow, like you're trying to hold it all together. That's a lot. I noticed that and that's a lot. Like, tell me about your experience. Just that. Like, I hope that that allows the parent to take a breath, the kid to take a breath, and your energy can start to be mirrored by whoever you're coming in contact with. It might be the case manager that you're coming in contact with who's had a rough day or whatever and is like, wow, hey, Lauren, I totally know that you are just doing your best and I want to understand, you know, what you've got going on so that everybody can get their needs met. But if you can just pause and take six steps back when you are hit with this energy that just, it makes all of us do this like knee jerk reaction that we want to like either respond real quickly or we want to say, gosh, this woman's frustrating or she's triggered me or She's wrong. I'm right. If they would just blah, blah, blah. Okay. But if we can just take a few steps back, pause, what's going on here? This is a parent that is trying so hard and is doing so much good in this world, more than we might be doing. Case manager that took on a thankless job that is just trying, right? And makes not enough. Program directors, service providers, bio parents, everybody is just using whatever they were given, all the tools that they have to be the best they can be. And if we can see that as it is, if that's how we look at every situation and we speak to that and we exhale and we go like, this is a place where there's no judgment and I'd like to understand it better. I'd like to just be here for you. I'd like to be, um, you know, give you resources if that's helpful. I'd like to give you help if it's needed. Um, but I just think that we need to kind of pop that balloon that's like just getting bigger and bigger and tighter and tighter. And we're all about, we're in a pressure cooker, right? And a lot of times these kids feel like they're in a pressure cooker because somebody's telling them to like, oh, don't do this and don't get too loud and don't get too that. Just pop that balloon. You know, let let everything go, let people be emotional, let the anxieties run, and then be this wave of calm that meets it and just like, you don't need to do all that here. Like, you're good enough, you don't need to try, and I can totally see that you're doing your best. I, I really hope that that helps, like, just put a little bit of perspective to all the people that are coming and again, I'm not saying that everybody's great and I'm not saying that there aren't bad apples and I'm not, but being snarky about it and judging people, is just not where we need to be. It's not where we need to be. And if you notice your own, like, Ooh, I am triggered. Like my anxiety is getting up there. I am like meeting this highly anxious, hypervigilant energy with the same energy then notice it in yourself and tell yourself those same things. Woo, you are doing your best and your best is a lot of work. And let's just like 
that's a lot. Let's put that down. Let's see. Like, you can certainly have empathy for yourself, right? Why are you in this work? What got you here? You have good intentions, right? If you have good intentions, they have good intentions. We all have good intentions. So we can get calm and get intentional and start looking things up and figuring out how we can help and validating and being empathetic and holding space for things. You know, or we can just be somebody that's instigating. And, and I know that we're better than that. I mean, and I've been an instigator. Trust me, I, you know, I definitely have complained about plenty of people and I've been super judgy. Um, but I notice it now. I'm aware of it now. And I'm like, that that's not helpful. If anything, it's just not helpful to me. It's not helpful to have those feelings about people. Um, and I truly believe that we just need to know people are doing their best. People are doing their best. Mm -hmm.